This episode of Mark My Words is sponsored by the Coatings Alliance, makers of C2 Paint. When C2 President Tom Hill asked me my opinion of what would make a program for their super premium wood finish product, Guard, more attractive to dealers, I shared my view that dealers look for three things when they're considering putting new products in their stores. They want a low initial investment. They don't want to have to spend any money on equipment, and they want to know that if the program is not successful, that they can send the product back. And so that's exactly what C2 put together in their program for Guard. I only wish my daughter Buckwheat would listen as well. So if you're interested in hearing more about this program, you can do one of two things. You can go to c2dealer.com to read more, or you can email Tom Hill yourself and ask him any questions you have. That's th, the number four, at c2paint.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. It's Mark. With me today on my episode of the Mark My Words podcast is Marjane Zara Parvar. Marjane is the president of Paint Cares, and we all at least have some uh, general understanding of what Paint Cares is. I'm going to let Marjane do most of the work, but Paint Care is the organization which has been brought together by the ACA, that's the American Coatings Association, that is the trade association for the manufacturers, Sherwin-Williams, Benjamin Moore, Bayer, all the big manufacturers and all the small ones are members of that organization as well. And a number of years ago, the ACA was involved with a group called the Product Stewardship Institute, which interestingly enough, I was involved with helping put together a plan to figure out a solution for what was an enormous problem in the United States. And that's post-consumer paint waste. The number of gallons that we all as Americans, not just paint dealers, all of us have stuffed in our garages and basements, which ultimately go bad and go into the waste stream or the landfill is enormous. Uh, I, I think I heard Marjane say somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 million gallons, and that grows every single year. And so they've got this really great program. It, it sort of works. Uh, it's like a hybrid of the bottle deposit, a program that many of us are familiar with in their states. There's a fee associated with the purchase of a can of paint. The consumer pays that fee. And in exchange, the consumer has the right to return a can of paint to any one of the collection sites. And then those collection sites there, the program changes a little bit, but those collection sites make that paint available to recyclers and recyclers find a way to use or reuse that material. And so it's a really cool story. It was really cool for me to be involved in something. Again, this was close to 30 years ago at the very beginning of my career. I sat in with the Product Stewardship Institute as they were doing this. I was one of three or four retailers represented in the United States, Tremont Paint, Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, Sherwin-Williams was there as, as a retailer as well as a manufacturer. Benjamin Moore uh, was there as well. As a matter of fact, it was one of the places where my relationship with Benjamin Moore as a corporation, uh, more than as a customer, really began. So really cool progress that they've made over an extended period of time, decades, has led to this program. And Paint Care has created an environmentally sound solution that has very little cost and none to paint dealers. And frankly, none to manufacturers. All the costs is borne by the consumers of the paint where they've 
created a sustainable and an environmentally friendly solution to the problem of post-consumer paint waste. So let's give Marginet a listen. We really get into it. It's a really cool episode. Before we do, let me just mention one thing. You may notice the shirt I'm wearing. This is from Adler's Design Center and Hardware. You know, I've decided that my love for swag has created this great opportunity. I'm going to start wearing swag on my episodes. And so this one here is from my dear friend, Harry Adler. He was the first when I sent out an email recently to a handful of dealers saying, hey, can you send me some swag so I can start doing this? Of course, Harry was the first. Harry's always the first. And so Harry's Harry's store is, as you can see, 102 years old and, and he's first generation. So good for him, right? No, Harry's, Harry's store is 102 years old. It's been in his family for a number of generations. And He's a really, really great operator, single store location, very diverse uh, business. He's both a design center, a traditional hardware store, a paint store, a, a decorative hardware store. He's really got it all going on. And so, Harry, thank you so much for sending me my first bit of swag. And, uh, and you guys tune in the next time. Like, subscribe, and you'll see me in a shirt from somebody else. Hey, if you're a paint dealer and you want me to wear your swag while I'm making an episode, send me a hat, send me a t-shirt, send me a hoodie. So long as your name is on the front so it can be seen, I'll wear it. I'll tell a little story about your brand. So shoot me a text, shoot me an email. I'll get you my address and I'll wear your stuff as I record an episode and I'll talk about your stores uh, during my recordings. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. With me today on the Mark My Words podcast is Marjane Zara Parvar. Marjane, how did I do with your name? As good as anyone. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I like it. Marjane is the president of Paint Cares, which is part of the ACA. Uh, Marjane, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Paint Cares? Go into a little bit of the history and, and what you guys are up to now. Sure. Well, the Paint Care history, um, maybe I'll go a little further than when the programs began, maybe how the program came about. It goes back about 20 years. And the story starts really with a group of local and state governments inviting the American Coding Association, which is the primary trade association of paint manufacturers, um, as well as individual paint companies, really just reaching out to the paint manufacturing industry and saying, you know, would you come and have a dialogue with us to try to come up with a sustainable long-term solution for what to do with all that leftover paint? Post-consumer paint. We are 75 million gallons left over a year. It's that small amount left over in every can. A lot of paint for local governments to manage. And um, the idea with this dialogue was they felt that you know, manufacturers are making the paint, retailers are selling the paint, but once it goes out the door, they don't have a role in managing it or thinking about it anymore. And so their ask of the industry was, you know, again, can you help us come up with a solution? Um, whether that's funding it, creating a, a program for take back, whatever that might be, let's work it out together rather than trying to legislate it. Some of that history started with Scott Cassell's group at the uh, Product Stewardship Institute, because I remember being involved in some of those meetings. I'm happy you mentioned that. Uh, that's the group. So Scott brought everyone together. He has Scott, uh, his organization, the Product Stewardship Institute out of Massachusetts. They yeah. brought this dialogue together brought the different stakeholders, including recyclers and hazardous waste haulers and federal EPA. Right. The there whole were group dealers together. in that room. There were dealers, there were manufacturers, there were government entities, there were waste haulers. You're right. We had a full representation. Exactly. To basically work together rather than against each other, right? To work together right. to figure out a long-term solution. And, and the reason why paint was selected so early on among this group of um, local and state governments that work on waste collection programs is because a lot of paint comes into what we call household hazardous waste collection programs. Right. 
Of all the stuff they get, paint was really by volume and cost the largest thing. It's sometimes up to 50% of what they were getting. So they right. thought this was, if they were going to go down this avenue of what we call product, product stewardship or extended producer responsibility, it made sense to start with the paint industry. A lot of dealers, when they think of this problem, they think of it, as you described it before, as just sort of the last court in the bottom of everybody's can. But when you multiply that out, and right. don't look at it as an individual problem for the customer with a court in their garage. Look at it as a problem for the environment, for the landfills, for the governments who are managing all this product and trying to keep it out of the waters that we're all drinking and out of the, the landfills that would obviously leach into the waters. The problem is enormous. It's magnified across the country. And then we're talking about a lot of pain. And some of us are fortunate. We live in communities that have well-funded waste collection programs. You know, the garbage yeah. companies are offering services. We know where to take our leftover paints and pesticides and cleaning chemicals. But many communities across the country don't have something. And that's what I meant by sustainable something, where everybody across the country has an opportunity to you know, properly manage their leftover paints. And so that's the ask that was presented to the industry, saying, help us come up with something. And so... The group together over a course of about three to four years did studies to figure out what are the opportunities for recycling paint, what are the costs, what can this look like if it's going to be a national program, a state-based program. You know, a lot of information was gathered, a lot of discussion was had. And at some point the industry said, you know what, we do think that we should have a role in this, and we think it should be um, in the form of a program that we develop together that will be consistent across the country. And you're talking now about the large paint manufacturers, right? I am. I'm talking about, right. yes, exactly. The, uh, the ACA members are, just for uh, anybody listening, ACA members, if you're not familiar with the group, are Sherwin-Williams, PPG, Benjamin Moore. Those are your, those are your members. Yeah, as, as well as the mid-sized companies. You know, we have many sure. apps, but Hirschfield sure. in Minnesota, and sure. uh, there's many. Yes. Um, and then, but also the small ones, which maybe, I don't know if they were at the table at the time, but ACA represents all manufacturers, as does Paint Care now through this program. So small and large. Again, working together and having working through this dialogue and in the end deciding, well, ultimately, what can the paint industry do? And, and the solution that they came up with, let us create the program, let us implement it, let us take on the full responsibility of funding it, developing the system to take it back. Um, and they did that in what they call, we call that now the, the paint care program, or it's this right. model program that we have now in 10 states in the District of Columbia. And so Paint Care, the program itself, you're arranging through, and we'll get into the detail in a minute, yeah. but you're arranging to reclaim that paint that is post-consumer waste, correct? We are, we're doing it all. Every element of what, it, what a take-back program looks like, including managing the funds, creating the take-back systems, you know, but it takes a lot of players, a lot of partners, including manufacturers, retailers, recyclers, local governments, everybody has a role in this, but the whole thing is facilitated and put together through the paint care program, which was the program that the paint industry created again to implement these programs. So tell me specifically, Marjane, like how does the program work? How do you collect this material? In the states that have what we call the paint care law, again, 10 states in the District of Columbia, when that law passes, essentially the paint care program gets to work. And it was mandatory at that point, like your five cent bottle deposit. This is just part of the consumer process. Yeah. So there's different elements of the funding model is one component. That part is mandatory. And then the take back program, there's parts of it that are voluntary. So different elements in the program. Let me talk about the, the, the whole take back system. You know, how does we, we've been talking about creating a program to take back paint. So what does that look like? So a law passes 
And immediately Paintcare gets to work reaching out to essentially paint retailers. And that's the process that where we're at right now with New York. We're planning to start a program May 1. So we've got the next, what is it, seven months, eight right. months to reach out to those retailers and establish partnerships. The goal is to make paint take back more convenient for the public. So right now there's probably a hundred or so government drop-off, either sites or events that take place across the state of New York each year where the public can bring back, bring back their leftover paint. Our goal is to increase those opportunities. So first thing we do, we meet with the local governments and we partner with them. So we're able to cover their costs for paint management. Cause you know, again, part of this program was to assist local governments to reduce that burden on them. And so we're gonna start covering their costs for paint management. The way we make the program more convenient going beyond the current infrastructure is by reaching out to paint and hardware stores, essentially anyone that sells paint, and asking, would you voluntarily be a drop-off location for the public? I'm amazed at the level of participation that we have. It's usually above 30% in some states. In some states, it's 50% of Fabulous. independents and some chain stores. Uh, so we're talking yeah. about the aces, the true values, the Benjamin Moore dealers, uh, PPG stores. And essentially, they're offering some space in their store to store a couple of cubic yard bins. When the public comes with that leftover paint, you know, they take a look at it, they make sure it fits the, the program requirements, they put it in the box, and then they call the hauler that Paint Care has um, set up for them to come pick up those boxes. So, so it's a relatively simple program, but it does rely on retail stores to, uh, you know, to be willing to be drop-off locations and to wanna to offer that service to their community and to give up the space and the time to help make this program a success. Right. And, and for the retailer, it seems to me that what's in it for them is a flow of perhaps new customers, right? Because the way the program works, at least to my understanding, uh, you're not obligated to take back paint just from your own consumers. You're obligated to take back paint from whoever walks in the door with it. You are. If you choose to be a voluntary drop-off location, then our ask is that you take paint, all types of paints, right? So it's not just the paint that you sell. So exactly. So you have an opportunity to have somebody walk in that maybe purchase of paint at a place that is not a, a take-back location, um, or you know, even just to have that interaction with your staff and build that relationship. And so uh, that is certainly our hope that you have the opportunity to you know, increase your um, customers, or as they come in, maybe they'll pick up something on the way out. Right. Uh, and we have found with every state that we've set up, with New York being the 11th one, with every program that we've set up, that it's becoming easier to recruit retailers. And we know that's right. because they talk to their colleagues in other states and they say, look, is it that's worthwhile? Right. Should I do this? Is this good for me? And they're finding it is. Well, here's some quick math for you. You know, So the typical retailer that would be listening to my podcasts is sort of typically a Benjamin Moore retailer. I mean, they, they control a large piece of the business. But what's interesting is that when you look at the larger industry, you know, they're in fact quite small. And, and so their market share nationwide may be only nine, 10% or something like that. And so for dealers thinking whether or not they should get involved in this program, here's one way to look at it. There's a 90% chance that the person who walks into your store to return a gallon of paint for you to dispose of bought that gallon of paint at another store. And that's an opportunity for dealers to say, hey, you know, you didn't have to buy this cheap paint. You could have bought my paint. You could have bought my brushes. And so dealers, I always felt it had never come to New York uh, in the time that I had uh, uh, before I had sold my business. But I would have absolutely participated in something like this just for the marketing value. Yeah. And we have a lot of Benjamin Moore stores participating in our program across the state. And, you know, we're, you know, again, so grateful to every store that participates because the program 
couldn't succeed if they weren't willing to do that. And so the way the program works is how? Pain care's role is to figure out, we know there's a certain level of convenience that we want to provide for the state, a certain number of sites. We want to make it easy. We want everyone to have access to a site within 15 miles. It's usually much more convenient than that, but we have some standards we want to meet. So we figure out how many stores, how many locations do we need across this particular state, in this case, New York, to meet our goal for convenience. Um, what will be the cost of the transportation and the recycling of the volume of paint we anticipate bringing back in the state? What is the cost of having a very robust public education program? And then some other smaller costs like staff in the state and you know other typical administrative overhead type of expenses. We figure out the total cost of what we're, will be the New York program. And then we figure out how much architectural coatings, because that's what's covered in this program, are sold right. in the state annually. And essentially we do the math to figure out how do we fund this program the program is funded by putting a small fee on new paint sales. So in most of our states, that fee right now is 35 cents on pints and quarts, 75 cents on one gallon containers, and $1.60 on five gallon containers. The industry creates this program, implements it, but I think everyone agrees it's fair that a consumer, when they're buying the product, any product, that they're paying for the full life cycle of that product. So that doesn't that's mean correct. just the painting, but also the end of life management. And so that's why. The way it works is paint care tells the manufacturers what the fee needs to be in order to sustain this program. They put that fee on their product price. They pass it down to their deal dealers, to distributors right. and retailers. And then ultimately they have to, by law, keep that fee on their product price and pass it down to consumers. So it's ultimately right. a consumer funded program, but everybody along the way has some role in this program. So if your state were to approve paint care and pass it you know, uh, forward till May when, you're, when you have this program open in New York, New York dealers are going to start seeing a line on their Benjamin Moore bill that says how many cans, and they're going to get a tax for that, which they'll pay. And then that tax then gets collected from the consumer at the point of sale, which they keep. We don't call it a tax. We call it a fee because the, the money is not going to government. It's going to paint care to implement the program on behalf of the industry. The fee is a part of the product price. Again, it goes passed down all the way to consumers. As you explained, the manufacturers are going to put that fee when they sell the paint to retailers. But then because retailers are passing that fee to consumers, they're recouping that cost at that point. So there's no cost directly for retailers for this program. Um, right. It's again, borne by the consumer. And so then how do you educate consumers uh, about this program? Because that seems to be the tough part to me is once they leave with the paint, you've, you've got to get them to come back rather than put it in their uh, garage yeah. and, and just let it sit there. So how do yeah. you do that? Well, I'm happy you asked about that because we're spending a lot of time talking about the recycling of paint, but really our education, I'll talk about how we do the education, but let me first address messaging. And that is that we talk about more than just what to do with that leftover paint. Really our goal ultimately is not to have leftover paint. So the first right. thing we do is try to educate consumers about how to buy the right amount. And we've learned through many years of doing this, the best way to know how to buy the right amount is to ask a professional for help. So when you're going in to buy your paint, bring some basic information about the dimensions of the wall that you want and the texture of the wall, but then ask the store uh, staff to help you figure out what the right volume is. So you can get it as close to accurate as possible. Then we also educate consumers about how to store your paint. Because if you don't store it properly, that paint can get spoiled. So if you want to keep that paint for a few years to be able to do touch-ups, how you store it, how you seal it is also important. Then we move on to, so we're essentially following the reduce, reuse, recycle model. So with reuse, not reusing the paint, but we try to educate the public or give tips on how you can use up your leftover paint, or maybe you can right. donate it somewhere. And, 
is reuse effectively, right? I mean, sure, you put sure. it in your garage for two years and then don't go a paint store to buy a quart when you need to touch up, you've reused your original paint. So good job. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, so we use the yeah. tagline of buy right, use it up, recycle the rest. That's our reduce, reuse message. Uh, we try to uh, provide opportunities for to uh, let the public know where they can go to recycle, uh, to donate their paint. So either use it up yourself on some special project, or, you know, we give tips on how to do that or donate it. And then finally we get into the recycling. So you've tried everything. Now you have some leftover paint. Here are the hundreds of locations you're going to be able to take it to in New York. And in terms of how we educate the public, I mean, we do everything you can think of, right? We do the big stuff, radio, television, but at these days, uh, I think our primary focus is online because that's where most people are getting their messaging. When you're Googling right. what to do with my leftover paint or leftover paint, we're hoping paint care is the first thing that pops up. So we're trying to drive everybody to our website. On our website, we have something called a site locator. Type in your city and state or your zip code, and it'll show you all the locations nearby where you can take your paint. So a lot of outreach, but another really important avenue, a critical avenue for us uh, in our outreach to the public is through the paint retailer because they're having that direct interaction with, with paint consumers. And in particular with painting contractors, that's such an important audience for us. We want them to know about the recycling, absolutely, but also to know about the fee as far ahead of time as possible for, before the program begins, so they can build that into their bids. So we really rely on paint retailers to help us get the word out to their customers. We're already starting that outreach. So we're gonna be doing a series of mailers, phone calls. We have two webinars coming up on September 14th and 16th, which hopefully we'll post something about it very soon on our website. It's all about educating the retailers so they can help us educate their customers about this upcoming program. And so the reason you need to do all of that is that once this paint cares comes to your state, uh, it's a requirement. It's not a requirement necessarily that you participate in the collection of the material. But it's a requirement that you participate in this program. You're going to be collecting fees. In fact, if you don't, it's actually going to come out of your pocket because the paint manufacturers are collecting the fees from you. So you really need to be engaged in this program and understand what it is when it comes to your state. The requirement on manufacturers is they must participate in this program. And the way they participate in this program is either by registering with Paint Care, so we operate the program on their behalf, or operating their own program. So far with 11 programs, we haven't had any manufacturers want to do their own. So essentially, paint care implements the program. The requirement right. for retailers is twofold. One, they must keep that fee on the product price that came down from the manufacturer. But also, they're not actually allowed to sell any products from a company that isn't participating in a program or in the paint care program. Now, again, fortunately, we've never had anyone try to avoid it because the industry right. created this program and they want it to succeed. So it's, it's been in that way, we've been very fortunate that everybody's worked together and um, we haven't had any free riders or folks trying to get out of the, the program. Um, well, you haven't so tried while to that's... do business in New York yet, Marjane. <laughs> when, you, when you try to do business in, in New York and the unions and the mafia show up, you're going to get some free riders. That's the way that oh goes. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're not the first one that's first person that said yeah. that, but we'll, we'll wait till we cross that bridge. <laughs> I'm going to stay optimistic until that happens. Just joking. I I'm might be calling kidding. you for help if we come across yeah. any, you know, tricky situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. New York's legit. Yeah, I, I should maybe, also mention it is not. Maybe in 1980, when I came back into the business, maybe it wasn't. But by now, I think they've no. cleaned all that up. You're kind of scaring me, but that's okay. I'm, I'm up for the, <laughs> the challenge. Um, I should also say a couple other things about what happens at retail. It's not a requirement that the fee be shown visibly on the receipt, that the paint care fee be shown visibly. But 
in my experience and from what I hear from our team out in the field, probably 90, 95% of retailers do show the fee, maybe even higher on the receipt because they want their consumers to understand why the price of paint went up. Um, So it's just probably only folks that have maybe an old POS system that don't have the ability to easily add another line, but those are probably fewer and fewer. um, Yeah. I don't think that those are particularly common at this point. If, if you don't have a point of sale system, honestly, this, this probably is a, time a sign that it may be time for you to leave the industry right yeah. it's going to be really hard if if you're a dealer in new york uh just trying to open this up you're going to be paying benjamin Moore the fee every time you get a delivery of paint without a point of sale system to keep track of that on the other side you're going to be losing a lot of money uh also in terms of i mentioned that we're going to ask the retailers to help us educate their consumers we provide all of those materials so we will provide you know brochures postcards fact sheets, whatever works for them. Our goal is to provide materials that they find useful and that they're going to be willing to put on their counter and give out to their customers. So all of and that will be supplied by Paint Care. as well? Absolutely. If somebody wants to put additional information on their website about the Paint Care program, we'll work with them. We have those tools and, and uh, graphics and things to link them through to Paint Care. We provide the hard copies, the paper copies, posters if you're a drop-off site, many different things to help get the word out about the program. So let's talk, Marjane, about what this experience is like for a retailer. It, it seems to me, from a financial standpoint, it's, it's uh, neutral with the, expen- with the exception of the expenses that you have in helping the customers bring in paint, right? Right. And the space that you provide to store the paint care boxes. So we provide all the materials and all the training. We're going to go in every store before they begin the program, train them on what it, you know, what it means to be a drop-off location. We're going to leave a training binder behind that they can use for new staff or anyone that might have missed the training. We're going to provide all the, the posters for them to know what's, what's a program product and what's not a program product. So the way it works, it's relatively simple. A customer is going to walk in. They're going to have a box with a couple cans of paint. And the retailer is going to look at it to make sure that it is a program product. It's an architectural coating, that it's not leaking, that it's got a label so they can identify what it is. It's got, you know, it's sealed shut. Then they're going to walk back to their back room, storeroom, and put it into the cubic yard box that Paint Care is providing. And if they can hold two boxes, when the first box is full, they're going to call our hauler. Again, all the information is in their training binder for pickup. And if they're in an urban area, the hauler should get there within a few days. And if they're in a rural area, it might take a little bit longer. What we see is that certainly in urban areas are going through those boxes or they're filling up boxes much faster, right? And yeah, so some might fill a couple boxes within a few days. Some may you know, only need to pick up every few weeks. They can either call for pickup, but once the program has been up and running for a while, some of them kind of figure out a pattern. Oh, we're filling up a box or we're filling up two boxes every two weeks. Then we can put them on a regular schedule. Our whole goal is to make it work for the retailers to make it as convenient for them, to make it work. If they're not happy and it's not working for them, they're not going to stay in the program. We can't be successful. So we work really hard. We've got staff on the ground that are there to troubleshoot. They're there to visit the store if there's a problem. They're there to provide additional outreach materials. So once it leaves the dealer quickly, uh, what happens after that, Marjane? Sure. Well, the whole goal of this program is to do something good with the paint, right? So we're not collecting the paint to then landfill it. With the, the goal is to do some, you know, recycle it, do something good with it. So our transporters are generally routing the paint to different locations. Oil-based paint goes one place, latex goes another place. The majority of the paint, 80%, is latex, and I think that number is yeah. going to keep growing. And we're yeah. very lucky. There are there are existing paint recyclers across the country, and maybe more will be set up in New York as a result of this program. They're going to take that paint, color sort it re-blend it, and they essentially make a recycled content paint. Those That paint is typically sold in maybe Habitat for Humanity stores or directly yep. to a local government or a um, highway agency to Highway paint. department, prisons, yeah. 
Graffiti uh, abatement. Systems. Yep. Yeah, those paint recyclers would love to sell their paint in a regular retail, and that's their, you know, that's on them to find their right. um, their markets. But uh, the paint gets recycled into paint, and the percentage of paint that can't be turned back into paint will go into some other uh, secondary product, uh, maybe into a cement block. So there's a handful of other things you can do with the 20 to 30 percent that can't be recycled back into paint. And ultimately, there's going to be a little bit of dry and spoiled paint that will have to be landfilled. But generally speaking, that sounds to me like like the vast majority of the material that we're taking back is going back into, in some way, a consumer's hands as paint or as some product made from the paint. It is. And it's, you know, it's the idea of circularity. So that that paint, you know, is going to be turned back into paint. Now, maybe it's not going to go back to the original manufacturer. That would be too complex of a system to send, right. you know, Benjamin Moore back the Benjamin Moore paint standards around paint. And I don't think that's necessary for this program to be successful and for paint to ultimately be recycled into paint or into another product. And so tell me, what is it that you're uh, asking for paint from paint dealers now? Because this episode really came from a conversation that you and I had where you had said, mm-hmm. listen, we just opened in New York. We've got a specific yeah. ask. Can you, sure. can you help us? Right now, the big ask is to uh, communicate with us. Our goal right now is to educate retailers because we don't want them to hear about the secondhand. It could be confusing, daunting. You know, they're not sure what is this thing. I'm hearing about a tax. I'm hearing about a fee. So we really want to educate retailers. So if you have questions, reach out to us. We are, again, as I mentioned, we are doing uh, several rounds of mailers. We're going to be holding webinars. We're doing everything we can to educate retailers, walking in the door and speaking with them. We're going to be calling all of them. Um, we're here as a resource. We want to help them be in compliance with the law. We want to be there to support them. And ultimately, we'd love it if they could be drop-off locations for us. That's why I asked you to actually come on is I think it's a fabulous uh, opportunity for dealers and the dealers that I've spoken to in paint care states. And I mentioned I live in a paint care state. The dealers I've spoken to have, have seen that opportunity uh, in their stores. I really appreciate your endorsement and you're speaking from personal experience. So that means more, you know, than anything. Um, it's uh, more important that you know what it looks like and you can speak to how it might impact a store, or how it might benefit a store. So yeah, our goal is to get as many stores as possible because we want to make the program as convenient as possible for the public in New York. And we'd love to partner with the Benjamin Moore stores, with the ACES True Values, all those independent stores, uh, PPGs to, to be drop-off locations. Um, the more, the better. And so let's let's start with this. What is a, uh, a website that dealers can go to, uh, whether they're in New York or any other part of the country, just to get some information on the paint care program? Paintcare.org. So paintcare.org, yeah, paintcare.org. And right on our front page, there's information about um, becoming a drop-off location. We have an online form you can fill out. It's relatively simple. You know, address, name, contact information. How many bins can you hold? And then we'll call you back when we get that form and start talking to you about those details. We just sent our first mailer out with all that information as well. Here's a website, here's the form. And we started getting some back and that's really exciting. Just this week, we started getting some forms back. And so you're talking about to the dealers in New York. The dealers in New York, we did our first big invitation to be drop-off location. We've started getting, some folks even found that online form before we did our outreach and have already uh, volunteered to be a drop-off location. So we're just beginning to see those come in. Um, And, but you know, this is again, our first effort We'll keep, we'll keep knocking on your door. And, and if you don't choose to be a drop-off location, you know, it's still important for us that you know about the program so you can be in compliance with what you're required to do, but also so you can help educate consumers. So our consumer outreach materials will go to all stores, not just the drop-off location. Fabulous way to end it. 
Marjane Zara Parvar, president of Pain Cares. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today and ex- explaining your program to my listeners. Thank you. I would really, Mark, really appreciate this opportunity. Um, again, any, any way we can reach out to the retailers in New York, uh, we're grateful for.